verse number 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, and of course Him being God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. This verse, and you know, there, there are certain verses that I call life verses, and all the Word of God is the Word of life. And what I mean by that is verses that I try to keep in front of my heart and, and mind, the forefront of my attention and focus, and, and live by those verses uh, on a daily basis. Obviously, we want to live by the entire Word of God, but it's a big book. Amen. There's a, there's a lot in it. Amen. Matthew 6, 33 is another one of those verses for me. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His ways of being and doing right, and all these things will be added to you. And here, of course, the importance of faith as it relates to pleasing God and how God desires for us to come to Him, believing that He is, that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We've said to please not ignore the use of the strong words impossible and must, These words are absolutes, meaning there is no way around them, no substitute for them. If a man says something is impossible or if a man says something is a must, well, that's strong words. But if God says it, how much stronger? And so we see that faith in God is how we please God. And without faith, apart from faith, It's impossible to please Him, no matter how good or noble our efforts may be. And then he talks about he who comes to God. And what we've seen in the course of our study is that there's a right way to come to God, and there's a wrong way to come to God. There's a right approach, and there's a wrong approach. Now, the Scripture's very clear. Whoever comes to me, you know, whoever comes, God's not going to cast you out. He's not going to cast you away. But what we are able to receive from Him and ultimately walk in and experience in our lives is absolutely affected by the attitude of our heart and by the way we approach God or by the way that we come to Him. We see that, that for example, He gives grace and help to the humble, but He resists the proud. And so we can come full of pride and boastfulness and be, 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 be resisted by God, or we can come with a humble heart and receive the help from Him that we desperately need from Him. And then two Wednesdays ago, we began to talk about a self-help mindset of the world and how that self-help mindset has crept into the church and must be rooted out. I, I pray really tonight that you don't just dismiss that as some kind of you know mumbo jumbo and worldly secular talk or what have you the the more i meditate on this and the more i talk to father about this and and the more he shows me in the word of god this self-help approach again we're talking about how we come to god he who comes to god must believe god is must believe He's a reward of those who diligently seek Him. And so many times people come to God looking for Him to tell them something they can go do without Him. And a lot of people view pastors 
as self-help coaches and churches as self-help support groups and the Bible as a book full of self-help information. And, and none of this is a do-it-yourself approach to life and living. And it's really important that we understand this because I, I really do believe, listen to me now, I really do believe that's, that's one of the, 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 the driving factors in, in why um, so many people are missing out on what God has for them because none of God's ways will work in your life without Him. Everything that God has for you, everything that God Every answer that he has for you, every blessing that he has for you has one thing in common, and that's him. And you need him to see it, you need him to believe it, you need him to receive it, you need him to enjoy it. There's, just, there's no part of this um, from the beginning to the ending that works without him. That's why the scriptures say he's the author and the finisher. He is the alpha through omega. And, and when we come to God with this idea that maybe he can tell us something that we can go and do that will make our lives a little better, we're missing the entire point. And we've looked at different cases in scripture. But what we have concluded from all of this is an importance of learning of and believing on. Learning of and believing on. Um, I was watching a, uh, a, a preacher video that he was talking about a man who strung a wire, not Nick Walinda, he's a born-again believer and he did this recently, but this was back many years ago, he strung a tightrope across Niagara Falls and he walked across it frontwards, then he walked across it backwards, then he put a blindfold on and walked across, then he put the blindfold on again and walked back across, then he, um, he went out there with a jump rope, then he went and got a wheelbarrow, he went across with a wheelbarrow, came back with a wheelbarrow, put on a blindfold, went across with a you know, and all these people are watching all this, right? And then he comes to this point. He says, how many of you believe that I can go across this tightrope with a wheelbarrow? And everybody's like, yeah, I believe you can do it because they just saw him do it, right? And so you know what he asked, right? He said, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? And, of course, nobody did. So that's a difference between believing in, right, Believing in this man's ability to go across that wire with a wheelbarrow, but believing on it is when you get in the wheelbarrow. And there's, there's a big difference there between believing in God and believing on him, believing in Jesus and believing on it. What's the difference? You get in the wheelbarrow with him. You put the yoke on with him is believing on him and learning of him. And so we can learn about a historical figure and we can learn from things they said and did but you cannot learn of someone without actually experiencing life together with him. And I believe this is one of the most important aspects of being strong in faith because our faith in what someone says can never be stronger than our faith in that person. 
So when God says must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, he's talking about himself. He's talking about his person. He's talking about believing and and knowing and seeking his essential being. This is where our faith must ultimately reside. And the only way that we can learn of him, right? Not just learn about or from. See, self-help, a self-help approach is, is, is focused on learning about. A self-help approach is focused on learning from. But now we're talking about something completely different. We're talking about learning of. And in order to learn of Jesus, remember what he said, learn of me for I am gentle and lowly. He, he didn't He didn't say, learn of me because I have this answer and I understand this mystery and I can tell you how to fix this problem. He said, no, I'm gentle and lowly. He's he's talking about his nature. He's talking about his person. He's talking about what he's like, his his essential being. We, we, we We must seek, diligently seek God's essential being. Amen. To To know him. We said last week that it's the difference between seeking his hand, which would represent his help, versus seeking his face, which is to seek him and to know him and and to have friendship and and, and fellowship with him. And this this is, again, I think we've all had different, you know, experiences in our lives where people wanted what we could do for them, what we could give to them, what we could help them with, but weren't really interested in, in, in us as an individual. You know, um, you ever get one of those phone calls where somebody says, man, the only time I ever call you is when I need something. <laughs> do you realize how many, how many people God has that only call him when they need something? Amen. And listen, it's not that he... It's, it's not that he doesn't want to help us and he doesn't want to give things to us. But what he's telling you and me here is that the only way this works is if you include me in it, is if you welcome me into it. So he didn't say you must believe that he can or must believe that he will because God knows what we need to understand is that if we believe that he is, we will have no problem believing that he can or that he will. Now, I want to talk to you tonight, and this is something that we're going to spend at least a couple of Wednesday nights, maybe more, on. And that's answering this question, how, how do we diligently seek God's essential being? Remember he said that um, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and him is a pronoun referring to the person of God. It's the word autos from the Greek, and it literally means the self of God or God himself. Break that down further. We're talking about diligently seeking his essential being. I don't think I need to explain to you the difference between seeking his help and seeking his essential being. Seeking his um, ability and willingness to get you out of a jam 
compared to seeking his essential being. So the people rode all you know, morning, comes to, come to Jesus. Jesus, tell us how to do what you did yesterday. They wanted self-help advice. Jesus said, your work is to believe on him whom God has sent. Was Jesus being stubborn? Was Jesus uh, you know, just being hard to please or hard to get? No. Jesus knew that no matter what he told them, it would not produce any results in their lives if it was just simply them wanting some advice from him so that they could go home and do whatever it is they were going to do without him. Did he tell us to do his works? Yes. But he never told us to do what he did without him because we can't do what he did without him. So, diligently seeking God's essential being, that which distinguishes him from others, a person's particular nature or personality, the qualities and interests that make a person individual or unique. I'm not trying to bog you down with these uh, you know, definitions, but I'm trying to help you understand this, this beautiful jewel that we have in this, this truth that we have in the Scriptures that Satan doesn't want you to understand. He doesn't want you uh, to see and realize. He wants you to continue to look at the Bible as a self-help book, God as you know, a, a giver of self-help advice, church as a self-help support group, and never understand the mutual fellowship that Father God desires to experience and enjoy with you. And so when we say He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, we're saying He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek His essential being. A rewarder of those who diligently seek that which distinguishes Him from all others. Let me, let me ask you to do something. And I know, amen, that's... <laughs> That's maybe a big assumption on my part, you know, start asking people to do stuff. I know some of you do, you know, follow through on the things that I ask you to do and even share and communicate back with me, and so I appreciate that. But as you read the Scriptures, and especially as you read the Gospels, don't just consider the miracle that Jesus performed, but consider every supernatural thing Jesus did as a sign pointing to some unique attribute of his essential being. Right? Let, let, here, here's, let, let me give you an example, okay? So, you've got a woman caught in the act of adultery, drug into the temple by a, a, a group of hooligans with religious garb on, okay? I mean, they just they care less about this woman. They have their own agenda. They're trying to trick Jesus and put him in an impossible situation. And they say, this woman should be stoned to death. She was caught in the act of breaking one of the Moses' commandments. And the law demands that she be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? They wanted Jesus to publicly pass a death sentence on this woman. Well, Jesus bends down and he writes and then he says, the one without sin cast the first stone. Now, here's what I'm saying. Don't just read through that story and, you know, 
at the very most feel better about yourself because you never got caught or you never committed the same sin that she did or what have you. It's all kinds of things that people... What does this tell you about our Father? What does this tell you about who He is? Luke 15, a lot of you know I've had the honor of being able to teach for many years down to Foundry. And one of my favorite passages to teach from is, is, is Luke the 15th chapter. Because in Luke the 15th chapter, we have three parables. And, and these parables are the hundred sheep, the, the lost coin, and a man who had two sons, also known as the prodigal son. And, and in these parables, Jesus is communicating to us the heart of our Heavenly Father. And, and what happens in heaven when one of His lost children come back to Him? And the celebration and the joy. And, and, and if there's a hundred sheep and one of them's lost, the heart of our God, we're, we're, we're learning about His essential being. We try to understand God based upon, you know, earthly fathers. And I'm thankful I have, a, I have an awesome earthly father but the absolute best earthly father on planet earth cannot tell the whole story of our heavenly father. We're all, you know, with the Lord and the Holy Spirit's help, Jesus and the Holy Spirit's help, we're all trying to be better dads. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not giving you an excuse to just phone it in. But we, we can't just, you know, think that the best dad among us is somehow, you know, the same as, no, he's better than that. He's better than the best dad that's ever lived. And, and his heart, as it's revealed there, you realize sheep don't hold still for you to count them, right? Can you imagine a hundred sheep in a pen and you're trying to count them? You ever tried to like, you know, how, how many people are at this Thanksgiving dinner? You know, and you start over on this side, next thing you know, that... Wait, that guy was, did I count, you know. Do you ask how many times you have to count a hundred sheep before you're convinced that there's only 99 of them in the pen? This is what I'm talking about. See, this is, this is seeking to, to know his essential being. See, the world says, oh, you know, dumb sheep should have come on. I'm tired. I'm ready to go eat some supper. I'll try to find him in the morning, and if wolves get him, he'll listen next time. That's not the heart of your father. That's not the heart of your father. That's not who he is. See, it's these things, right? Now you've got the woman. I, I didn't intend to talk about this tonight, but I'm, I'm going to finish it, okay? So, so then you've got the woman, and, and, and she's lost a coin. And she literally empties. She takes every stick of furniture out of her house and sets it in the front yard trying to find the coin. For, for years, I tried to figure out what is the big deal about this coin. It must have been worth a lot of money. It wasn't. It, 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 you know, she, she probably, I'm being silly here, but she probably had the equivalent financial amount in the sofa cushions that she'd already looked through. Why that coin? It's because on her wedding day, her husband would have given her that necklace with ten coins. 
So what is, what is Jesus saying to us? They understood that. We don't understand that. We try to figure out what the coin is worth. It's not the dollar value. It's the sentimental attachment. That particular coin was special to her because of the sentimental connection that she had with it because it was given to her as a gift by her husband on her wedding day. There was no mention of the husband helping her. For all we know, this was a woman who had been married 60 years to the same man and he had passed and whatever. But, but again, Jesus is trying to show us something here about the sentimental connection now that our Father has. His essential being. These are the things that that Father wants to reveal to us and wants us to see and understand about Him. So, I came here ultimately tonight to talk to you about fellowshipping with God. And I believe that Fellowshipping with God is the only way to learn of Him. You, you can learn about God and never even know Him. You, you can learn from God. There, there are all kinds of things that, that people use on a daily basis in our world, and they don't even know they're quoting the Bible. Blood's thicker than water and you know, all these different expressions that come from the Scriptures. They may not understand what they mean, but they, they throw them around nonetheless. So you, you can learn about God without even knowing Him. You can learn from Him without knowing Him. But learning of Him, His essential being, this requires fellowship with Him in the same way that learning of another human being requires fellowship with Him. There is no way that you can know another person with any measure of of depth or intimacy without fellowshipping with them. And, And I'm intentionally trying to not use some specific words. For instance, this concept of spending time with. Spending time with is is not a fellowship word necessarily or phrase spending time with coincides more with relationship instead of fellowship and it plays into and supports and reinforces the self-help mindset the self-help approach the self-help mindset that we need to root out right it's a self-help mindset that says, I'm going to spend a little time with Jesus in the morning before I go start my day. If for no other reason, I feel better about myself because I did. You with me? I can tell the folks that were, well, you know, I was reading in my Bible this morning. about this. <laughs> You say, well, Pastor Mark, are, are, have you lost your mind? What, what are you? No, no, listen to me, please. Listen to me, please. There's a big difference between reading a devotion and finding out something that might make your day better and you and Jesus going and taking on the day together. Fellowship is you and Jesus taking on the day together. Not you spend some time with Him in the morning and then go, you know, let Him sleep in while you go to work or whatever. That's not how this works, how any of this works. So, fellowshipping with God, believing on and learning of Him whom God has sent 
requires fellowship with Him. One more time. Believing on and learning of Him whom God has sent requires fellowship with Him. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully because for those of you who are new to this study, this is the imagery that the Lord has given us to use, okay? Imagine for a moment that we're painting a room. I don't know, pick a room, bedroom. You're painting your bedroom. And you grab the bucket of paint and the roller and you roll all the walls. Are you finished? No. You can roll all those walls, I don't know, depending on how big the room is, in an hour. I mean, that rolling part goes fast. But what takes time? What takes time is when you get that brush out and you cut it in against the baseboards and the ceiling and the door trim and whatever else may be in the room. And the, and the room isn't finished until you take the time to do the precision work. A self-help, spend time with, relationship with God approach is not interested in cutting anything in. We, we just want, you know, the big concepts. We, we just want the, you know, easy to remember, uh, make it as simple as possible for us, big picture points. But we don't want to get down into the details. We don't, we don't want to get down into the, into the specifics. And what happens is because we, we haven't wanted to be precise about things as it relates to God and His Word, we've left the door open for the devil to deceive us and to bait and switch us. And things like a self-help mindset that we... Most people in the body of Christ don't even... You know, there are so many people in the body of Christ that would think, I have no idea what, what I'm talking about even. It's like, well, I mean, what is this whole thing about then? Exactly. It's not about you finding out a few things that will make your life better. This is somewhere deep in my notes, but let me, I just feel compelled to say it right now, okay? Mutual fellowship with God means you're not the main character in your own story anymore. You're, you're not the star anymore. You're not in control. You're not calling the shots anymore. And that's the sad thing about it is, is, is so many of God's people today, they're trying to figure out how to have God in their life, but they still be in control of their lives. And that don't work. Again, it's not because God is stubborn or playing hard to get or, or, or making you work for it and prove that you're... No, it's, it's just that... It, it won't work. It's like, it's like trying to put something together and all you got is the bolts and no washers and, and, and nuts to put on them bolts. It's not going to stay together. It's not going to work. There are certain things the devil has strategically tried to steal from the church. And when I say the church, I mean God's people. I don't mean a building on a street corner with a steeple on top. One example of that, I'm not going to go too far down this road because I'm trying to get to the main point tonight, but one example of something that the devil has tried really hard to steal from the church would be meditation. The Bible has a lot to say about meditation, literally muttering a thought to oneself. And 
Boy, the devil's tried to steal that from the body of Christ. You, you want me to tell you why the devil's tried to steal it from the body of Christ? Is because there's power in it. When you begin to deeply meditate on the things of God, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and begins to speak to you. If you want to hear God's voice, begin to meditate on something God has already said to you in the Word. Begin to mutter that. Begin, you know, as you lay down on your pillow at night, silence all other thoughts and sit there and focus on something that God has said to you. And it will not be very long at all before the Holy Spirit comes alongside and begins to whisper things and speak things and reveal things to you. And the devil doesn't want the Holy Spirit speaking to you and revealing things to you and opening up your eyes to things that you don't see right now. And so he's tried, desperately tried, to steal meditation from the church. He does that many different ways. One way is he tells us meditation is Eastern religion. And listen to me, they hijacked it from God. Any, any idea the world came up with that works was God's idea first and, the, and they stole it from God and put their name on it. Are you hearing me? Another way that the devil tries really hard to steal meditation from us is by, by bombarding us with information overflowing us with information and and boy technology has really made it easier for him to do that so that we have so many different sources of information flowing into us that that we never really take time to sort through or think of things or think even for ourselves at all now i'm not here to teach on meditation tonight but in the same way that the devil has strategically tried to steal uh, from the church and God's people in the earth meditation, he has also, if not even more so, worked really hard and strategically to steal fellowship with God from God's people. As a matter of fact, I believe fellowship with God is among the things Satan fears the most and tries the hardest to steal from us. Now, that that's maybe a statement that some folks are like what what in the world are you talking about pastor mark and 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 it's 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 really sad to me the number of people that i have ministered to over the years that have had no idea i'm talking about safe people people are safe when they were kids and now they're adults and struggling with different life controlling behaviors in their in in, in their in, in their lives and and all of a sudden you know they hear that god wants to have and again, this is a word we're going to have to learn more about, but that God wants to have a relationship with them. And he's more than a relationship. He wants to have fellowship with them. So I'm going to say this again, and I don't want to, um, I don't want you to miss the importance of this. Because again, that's one of the ways Satan steals it, is we don't think it's important. We think it's that big a deal. We, he, he wants to trivialize and minimize things that are of the utmost uh, strategic importance you know, for our growth and development and ultimately our ability to please and glorify God in, in our daily lives. So I believe fellowship with God is among the things Satan fears the most and tries the hardest to steal from God's people. Now, let me give you this point, okay? And I've been saying this for years, so some of you are going to remember this. Some of you are be reminded of it, and, and some of you hear it for the first time. Fellowship with God is your number one purpose. Why, why am I here? What, what's this life all about? It's, it's all about fellowship with God. Fellowship with God is your, is your, is your number purpose. <laughs> Amen. Number one purpose. Y'all understand what that slide's supposed to say. 
and all other purposes are not only secondary, they're dependent upon your fellowship with God. See, one, one of my purposes in life is to do what I'm doing right now. But my ability to do this right now effectively is dependent upon my fellowship with God. Because it's in fellowship with Him, it's in fellowship with Him that I learn of His essential being and am then able to represent Him to the people that I serve. It's in fellowship with Him that He reveals things to... You, you realize you can buy books of sermons, right? You, you, can, you can download sermons. They're, they're, you can literally buy volumes of prepackaged sermons. It's like, well, wow, well, why would you ever work hours on one? <laughs> it's because I'm not just looking for something to say. I want to fellowship with my Father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit so that when I stand up in front of you, what I say to you is going to be from Him for you for this moment. It's a big difference between that and having something to say. Amen. So fellowship with God is your number one purpose. All other purposes are not only secondary, they are dependent upon your fellowship with God. You, you were created by God. You were created by God in the image and likeness of God so that you could have fellowship with God. That's, that's how important fellowship with God is to, to your very reason for existing. God created you to look like He looks and to function the way He functions so that you could have fellowship with Him and so that He could have fellowship with you. You, you were created by love to be given love and to show love back to love. Are you sure what I'm saying? God is love. And you were created, don't choke on this now, you were created comparable to Him so that you would be compatible with Him. He made you like Himself so that you would be in a position to experience and enjoy fellowship with Him. I've used this example in discipleship class for years. Little Colonel, our, our, our Yorkie that we had for so many years. I did not enjoy the same fellowship with him as I enjoy with Pam or with one of my family members. And it's not for lack of trying. If you know anything about those little animals, they, they're companion dogs. They just want to be with you. I mean, God created that little fella to love and be loved. And, and that was, that was the, the, basically the extent of his existence, right? Um, eat, go outside, use the bathroom, and love. And that's just, that's just, that was kernel, okay? But we were not compatible in the same way me and Matthew or Daniel or whoever else in this room is compatible because we weren't comparable. He wasn't the same as me. And because he wasn't the same as me, 
we weren't able to fellowship. I can't tell you how many times I wish that dog could talk to me. I know that sounds crazy to some of you, but I mean, he would just sit there. You could tell he was trying, man. He would look at you. Then he would turn his head this way. And then he would turn his head back this way. And then he would look over there. And he would look and he would go, surely you know what I'm trying to tell you, right? And I thought, man, I wish you could just talk to me. Kind of like moms, dads, when your kids are little and something's bothering them, but they can't talk yet. And you just wish they'd just talk and tell you, you know? But we couldn't enjoy fellowship on that level because we weren't compatible like that. We weren't comparable like that, and since we weren't comparable... So here's the point. Compatibility requires comparability. What does it say about God's desire for you that He created you in His image and in His likeness to look like He looks and to function the way He functions? That when God created mankind, He formed your body from the dust of the earth and then filled that earthen vessel with Himself to cause you to become a living being or a speaking spirit. So fellowship with God is a really big deal. It goes to your very origin. It goes to your very reason for existing. God created you not just with fellowship in mind. He created you in such a way as for fellowship with you to be, um, you know, possible and and capable let me let me i'll I'll finish right here we'll 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 pick this back up next week but let me let me let me say this okay and there's some things that that i i have written um and i started to share some of that with you tonight maybe next week or or the week after but My prayer is that the Holy Spirit helps us understand how much Father longs to enjoy fellowship with us. I'm going to say it again. It's not one of your purposes. It's not one thing that maybe if you ever get around to looking into, you might enjoy. Maybe not. I don't know. But you, you know. No. It's, it amazes me all the different reasons why people think they exist. And and listen to me. God did not create you because there were menial tasks that he was tired of doing. I mean, I got got this earth. What was I thinking creating this earth? Man, I guess I'll create somebody down there to take care of that thing for me. No. Absolutely not. Fellowship with him. And Satan has tried really, really hard to steal fellowship with God from God's people. And that's why people make church and come into church about everything but fellowship. See, what I'm very excited about showing you, and I don't want to just leave you hanging, but I'm going to have to leave you hanging at some point or we'll stay here all night. But listen to me, please. Satan has duped a lot of people into accepting, listen to me very carefully, into accepting personal relationship instead of what God truly desires and is offering to us, and that is mutual fellowship. See, we've, we've come to believe that the gold standard of Christianity 
is to boldly and confidently say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a personal relationship with God. I'm going to show you in Scripture, this may shock you, but I'm going to show you in Scripture that Jesus doesn't even have a personal relationship with God. Have you ever thought about what the word personal means? Private, exclusive, self-defined. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing some of the, whoa, whoa, pastor, you don't know we're cutting it. We're going to get this line, man. It's going, when we get through this, we're going to step back and go, glory be to God. Amen. But see, we've got we to cut this in. So how, let me, the, the number one way the devil has stolen fellowship from the body of Christ, are you ready? Ignorance, deception, uh, obviously those are at the top of the list. But here's the number one way that he's done it. He's offered us something inferior. And we took it hook, line, and sinker. I have a personal relationship with God. Private, exclusive, self-defined. The Bible says that you have been invited into the same relationship with God that Jesus enjoys. It's not personal. It's mutual. Do you see this, right? It's a lot here. We're going to get into it. Stand with me. Praise God. We're exposing the enemy. We're exposing his lies. Because the concept of a personal relationship plays right into the self-help mindset. The concept of what a personal relationship really means. See, personal, I maybe shouldn't have started down this road, but it's just been burning in me, man. I just, I'm wanting to get this stuff out there, but. See, when it, when it comes to something personal, it's like, well, you know, me and God, we got our own thing worked out. No, you don't. I mean, God understands me. He understands why I don't, I don't like crowds and I don't go to church and I don't live See, again, that, you, you think you and God got this own little thing worked out. No, no, you don't. The devil is tricking you. He's deceiving you. He's isolating you. Because there are things that you will never experience until you experience them through personal relationship, personal fellowship with God. Mutual fellowship with God. A personal relationship will not, will not produce within you the things that only mutual fellowship will. I got a whole long list of stuff. We'll get to it. Amen. You get anything out of this? Is it making sense to you? All right, Father, thank you. Come on, brother. That's absolutely, brother. It it has its limits. It ha- see one of the things that we're going to look at is in a relationship. Relationships are defined by the connections that um, that establish them, right? Oh, I work with her. Oh, he lives in my subdivision. Oh, I, I do business with him. See, all of, all of that. But, but at the, and I, I don't mean it in a negative, evil way, but a relationship then goes back to what's in it for me. Right? And 
And am I going to get enough out of this, you know, to make it worth whatever time and effort I have to put into this? That's, that's relationship thinking. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. What would you say the other day, Bruce? Quid pro quo. Something for something. So a, a relationship then says, relationship-based thinking says, what's in it for me? Fellowship-based thinking says, who am I in it with? Who am I in it for? See the difference here? Not about what's in it for me. It's who am I in it for? Not in. I'm not in this for what I can get out of it. I'm, I'm, fellowship is about what I can put into it. Don't misunderstand me. There's there's benefit from fellowship that can't be uh, experienced any other way in your life. But that's not what governs fellowship. It's about the person, not about what the person can do for you. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for helping us with these things. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us to this place tonight. Thank you, Father, for the men and women that, that heard you uh, call them here tonight, and they said yes. And we pray for all those, Lord, that you called to be here tonight, Lord, that are still reluctant about um, following through. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for all those that are watching and joining in with us, Lord, online. I Thank you, Lord, that we're hearing you. And we're responding to you and we're receiving from you to your glory in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. So good to see some of you. Some of you had not seen in a while. Good things coming.